This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Einstein and Go-Go. I'm Dr. Shane. A big thank you to the team from Radiotherapy for bringing us through to 11 o'clock. If you haven't abandoned your radio and gone out into the beautiful sunshine, <laughs> we've got an hour of science for you. In the studio with me is Dr. Jeff. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Shane. How are you? Good. Good to have you here. Dr. Catherine. Good morning. You're always looking so fit and sporting and physio-like. <laughs> How did you go this week? It was Hug a Physio Day it this was. week. Or what, it actually had a real title. What? World Physio Day, yeah. The highlight of my year, so it was, uh, it was exciting. Yeah. Although I'll, I didn't get a hug from anyone. I so. was standing around. I was prepared to hug any physio I saw, and they were all avoiding me. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, I didn't see you. you I thought you might come and see me but for the hug. Next but year. Next, next year. year. Yeah. Right, sounds good. <laughs> Dr. Jen? Morning, Dr. Shane. I'll give you a hug any day, mate. You don't need to be a physio. <laughs> <laughs> Jen's a hugger, folks. If you see her on the I street, am. run the other way. <laughs> Unless you want a hug. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, they're, they're free. Actually, can a hug actually be a physio, be a, be a kind of physio thing? Well, it does, well, has anybody ever researched yes. that? If you hug someone, does it tighten the muscles? Yeah, well, my, my older, older physio from years ago, Sarah, who, um, probably doesn't listen to the show, but anyway, she once grabbed me from behind and, and gave me this <laughs> massive bear hug and my back just went. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it is part of the treatment, yeah, isn't it? A potential new intervention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should do some research on this. So she was just hugging me. I thought it was fun. That, anyway, I paid Hugs for that. Hugs are very good for you. There's lots yeah. of research. Yeah. Hugging is very yeah. healthy. Oxytocin mm. release. Yeah, good, anyway. good hormones. Uh, <laughs> enough of physios. They've had their day. We and have. it's time for some science in general. Uh, some science news. Dr. Jeff, you can start us off. Well, I've got two things. One very short. Um, um, pushing my own boat out here that we, um, we uh, published a study this week showing that looking at... We've counted bacteria on the teeth. Um, mm. We counted communities of good versus bad bacteria and found that they were deter- using twins, they were, um, these communities, the balance was determined by environment rather than genetics, meaning that it's good news for people, for families who think they can break the transgenerational effect of, of toothache running in the family. We can do something about it. Better, or, better oral health is the answer yeah, and, and less sugar. That's very good news. But what got my goat this morning in bed, sounds rather strange combination <laughs> of words, doesn't it? That, uh, the headline said... Especially he- for the goat. <laughs> oh, Shane. Sorry. I, do, I, I am fond of goats, but that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> health workers um, attacked and abused over hospital smoking ban. Yeah. Um, and as a researcher in the Parkville precinct, I'm, uh, the word is really disgusted every time I walk past all the hospitals there up Grattan Street along, uh, um, along Flemington Road. To get into any of the hospitals there, you have mm. to run the gauntlet of smokers. They have a, like a one-meter rule. Outside hospital property, there's a line. You're not allowed to, sm- to smoke closer than one meter. And that's, first yeah. of all, that is disobeyed by almost all oh, smokers yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, one meter in a street like Grattan Street, where that's only three meters wide, and you have to literally walk past clouds of smoke. Um, uh, and, you know, there's children and young people thinking this is the normal thing to do, people to smoke. Um, and what's actually happened is, believe it or not, when, when, uh, when doctors and other professionals have dared to ask people not to smoke or even just refuse the cigarette, they've been, uh, they've been beaten up, hmm. injured. There's many, there's one big one in the news, um, uh, last year with, um, Patrick Fitzwald Stegman, he died after allegedly being punched in the head 
after telling someone not to smoke at a hospital in Melbourne. And it's not just the patients, might I say. Oh, no, it's not just the patients. It's, it's, the staff. it's staff as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the opposite there, you know, I have to name names, the Peter Mark across there, there's, there's people smoking outside mm. there. And because of this one metre law, there's nothing that people can do. So, you know, it's it's up to you out there to, you know, to, to contact, you know, your local MPs and Melbourne City Council if you think it needs changing, you know, mm. to do something about it. It's just a ridiculous rule. And, well, and the fines are not, not, not they haven't yeah. even fined people. Yeah. And look, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of imposing fines on the lowest um, socioeconomic mm-hmm. status communities that we have. I, that does not solve mm-hmm. the problem. In fact, uh, it makes it worse. Mm-hmm. But violence against our clinicians yeah. as a result of them, to be frank, asking people to do something that's not their job to get involved in, mm-hmm. that's not on. Um, that, you know, that's something that's very problematic. The other thing about that area is there's always police nearby out the yeah. front of Royal Melbourne. It's, it's very common for mm-hmm. police cars to be stationed there. So it's still happening, you know, under the noses yeah. of our authorities. But, yeah, you know, the violence is not called for. Yeah, but the, I mean, the, the, the nurses and midwives and doctors, mm. they've all been, they've all been calling for these changes. So it's yeah. up to the public to join them. One little thing, occasionally when you're traveling overseas, you'll see a, a little kind of airproof cabin, either yeah. inside an smoker's airport room. or outside a smoker's room. It's yeah. simple. Mm. Uh, I know it may imply condoning smoking, but then so does the one meter rule. Yeah. Just have a room where people can yeah. inhale each other's smoke and enjoy it and not affect the rest of us. Yeah. Well, I, I walk past that place often and I usually smoke a pack of Winnie Blues when I do it. Um, you can't help it because it's just so intense. Yeah. And you feel for the families who are walking in to visit patients who may, in fact, be dying of cancer yeah. or lung cancer and things, mm. and you just feel for them walking through this cloud of smoke at a, a terrible time for them. It's um, yeah. it's really concerning. Yeah. And look, but straight up punitive measures against people from mm. difficult situations and backgrounds is, yeah. is, is often, they're often the ones smoking there and it's not the way they do it. We, we have to get smart, smarter. A smart a lot solution. smarter approach. Mm-hmm. Dr. Catherine. Dr. Shane, I've been reading this week or learning this week about tattoos and tattoo ink. And is this something you want to show us? No, where, where'd you get the tattoo? No, no, so my first disclosure is I have no tattoos, so I'm learning, learning about this. Okay, okay. so you're investigating, you're looking I think around. She's planning. And yeah, she's I've been planning. scared off completely, cool. so, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, Needles. Learning, well, no, in fact, learning about the elements within the tattoo ink and how that actually can travel within our lymphatic system and within our body to our lymph nodes, wow. which are the, which are yeah. the lymph glands. And, um, as you may know, the lymphatic system is a, a system throughout our whole body and um, where fluid travels through the body, it protects our body against infection and it cleans waste and, and uh, it accumulates at lymphatic glands or lymphatic nodes where it works as a little bit of a filter to, to clear away toxins and things. So researchers in Europe at the European Synchrotron have been doing some research looking at tracking the elements within tattoo ink and how it travels within the lymphatic system. And this really hasn't been well understood before. So they were looking at particular a, a type of uh, ingredient in tattoo ink called titanium dioxide. And this is the second most common ingredient used in tattoo ink. And it's a white pigment. So it's mixed with other colours mm. to, to sort of create different colours of the, the actual tattoo. And what they've been able to do using X-ray fluoroscopy is track the microparticles and nanoparticles of titanium dioxide as it travels from the skin throughout the lymphatic system, through the vessels, and the nanoparticles, in fact, go and reach all the way to the lymph nodes. Well. So this is this has really not been mm. well understood before. Yeah. It's a quite a big concern. Mm. We don't know how those nanoparticles will react. 
Um, we, we know they're reaching the lymph nodes. We suspect it will mean that those lymph nodes will become enlarged, which is not a good thing, um, when really they're meant to be there to be fighting off infections and diseases or anything more sinister. So mm. don't quite know what the health concerns are yet, but it, it certainly doesn't sound good that there well, might be this build-up of toxins. The, the good thing, if there's a good side of this, it's that titanium dioxide has been used for a long time by artists and so forth. So you essentially have some very, very long-term studies mm. there yeah. with people who are, you know, 100 years old who have tattoos and it once looked like your wife and now it looks like a ship. If it <laughs> happens as you age, just a warning out there, people, be careful. Um, but, you know, we could look at some of that and just say, well, hang on, how is it affecting their health? Because some of them will have had this material in their bodies for literally 60, 70, 80 mm. years. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and some of the side effects of titanium dioxide are things like poor healing and yeah. skin irritation. So you're quite, could, you're quite right. We could look at very long-term studies. It's not to, to Titanium dioxide that's on in um, sun cream, is yes, it? it is. It's the yeah, same thing. And so why and is tattooing worse than sunscreen? Is because it's drilled in, into your ep- under your skin, literally, not just put on top of the yeah, skin? I'm not sure why it would be. It, quite possible. And that was only one component they've looked at at the moment. So there's a number of different components made up of, of the tattoo ink. But it is concerning that it's in sunscreen, but maybe it's in different levels yeah. and maybe it's not the invasive nature. Yeah. Yeah. When you mentioned that you should be talking about tattoo ink, I thought you were talking about Tatooine, the planet, the yeah. planet from Star Wars. <laughs> I, hear, I hear that too. Uh, <laughs> well, um, well, good luck, Dr. Catherine, and whatever you get will be will be. Yeah. Supportive. I'll keep looking into this. I'll let you know next yeah. week. And we'll be putting it out on social media. Yeah, right? Well, it depends on where it is. But, you know, oh, we'll, of course. We'll, it's a fam- family show. What do you got, Dr. Jen? Well, I thought I should come on air and, and admit just how little I know about the history of mathematics. And I'm a bit ashamed, really, because <laughs> I started reading about maths this week and realised so many interesting things. And specifically, the thing that I read about that I'd never thought about is the beginning of, of the number zero. Huh? Yeah. Because to me, that's just kind of obvious. Well, we need a zero. We need a way to show that 37 is different from 3007. You know, we, mm. we need to be able to do that. And I'd never thought about where that came from and how it came to be. Um, and it's been in the news this week because there's a fascinating manuscript called the Bakshali Manuscript, which is mm. 70 pieces of birch, which were discovered by a farmer in a field in what is now Pakistan in 1881. Wow. Um, and it's been in Oxford in a museum since 1902. Wow. And we haven't known, it's, it's extremely fragile and we haven't known that much about it. But this week some results came out talking about radiocarbon dating and the three extracts that they dated from this manuscript turned out to all be from different centuries, which oh. raises lots of questions about how it actually came to all be part of the one document. But the earliest of these was from the late 200s to early 300s AD. And why it's so interesting is because it's full of dots which are used as a placeholder to represent zero. Mm. So the actual zero isn't part of this manuscript, but it turns out this manuscript was like a, a user guide for merchants working along the Silk Road. So there's basic kind of arithmetic practice questions in there along the lines of, if somebody's going to buy this and they have this much, this is how much money they should be left with. So kind of teaching people wow. how to do mm. basic sums. And the document's full of hundreds and hundreds of dots which are, are forming this the role of zero and we know that that dot later became the hollow version which we know as zero and prior to this our earliest knowledge of zero was on a wall in an Indian um, temple way 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 later like 9th century Um, so it's just Mm. fascinating to think how did these 70 pieces of birch 
end up together if they're from different centuries um, and just the fact that zero had been conceived of so much earlier than we thought because the ancient Greeks even though the ancient Greeks did all sorts of amazing maths they didn't have zero mm. so we mm. need to go way back to, to early in time in India it turns out and zero is uh, something that people often think it's you know well there's none left but actually when you're doing certain sort of high level maths equations and so forth so any technological sophistication yep. at all requires a zero Absolutely. so if I if I have two numbers so x and y and I multiply them by each other and the answer to that multiplication um, equation is zero. I know one of those two numbers or both is zero. Mm. All these sorts of things <clears throat> allow you to do to solve problems in ways that, you know, are, are sort of more complicated than just, you know, I had three pairs and you, you took three off me. How many have I got left? Which mm. is part of it, but the more complicated mass is, is, is difficult. So that's, mm. it's such an interesting, um, interesting thing to And fascinating that the that. ancient Greeks didn't have it for that very reason, that it is so fundamental. And binary. Of Where course. would we be without zero? Zero mm. and one. I mean, all computing code presumably mm. relies on zeros and ones. Yeah, although you can do that with, you know, one and two. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, you could, you could, you could use any base <laughs> step, but, but this, in terms of, in terms of the way in which we structure all our technology, zero is really mm. important. And, you know, you, you saw that when, um, for, well, an example, and Jeff, you, you bring this up, is when the millennium bug type scenario was coming forward, the idea that <laughs> you would go and start having zeros everywhere. You know, this is a number of importance out of, out of ten possible numbers it's an important number now uh we're pretty much out of time for news but i did want to mention that uh, of course yesterday was a sad day folks very sad day um cassini after 20 years Bye-bye. in space um finally ended up uh plowing itself into into saturn deliberately um, <laughs> it had of course run out of fuel very important that uh, Cassini ended up going somewhere where NASA knew it would be. For example, because um, Enceladus, one of Saturn's moons, which is the moon where there is the sort of ice cover and the ocean underneath, and you get these um, this hydrothermal activity causing these these jets of of basically water that Cassini monitored coming out could be a potential location for life. Cassini was not sent up to look for life, so it wasn't wasn't sent up with the same precautions that you might want to have. And so if, for example, you accidentally crashed it into Enceladus and someone later found something, you know, oh, <clears throat> that's interesting, it's the, <clears throat> excuse me, the same stuff you, you have on Earth, well, it may have just come. You know, so, so it was very important to make sure it didn't end up anywhere we didn't want it to be. But, uh, you know, have a look. There's some great videos online. I've shared a few of them on Facebook mm-hmm. about Cassini's journey over the last 20 years. It's funny, Matt Stedman from Eat It, which is on uh, next, um, the show after this one, he came in to me before and he said, I have this vague recollection of you talking about Cassini 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and I, I said, well, I have a vague recollection of everything that I did 20 years ago. <laughs> but um, it was interesting. I do remember doing that story and referring to it yeah. as something the size of a bus. It was a big craft and amazing, but it's, you know. Well, look in, how it's lasted. Oh, it's, it stood the test of time mm. and uh, done the amazing thing. So now we're down to a, you know, Juno New Horizons, there's still some great stuff going on, but Cassini, sadly, is in the past. But the stuff that is sent back, God, mm, keep you going amazing. for years. We're going to take a break for some music, folks, and then we're going to be talking about a really cool student project in just a few moments with a couple of students from Monash University. So keep listening. You're on Einstein and Gecko on 3RRR. 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 In the studio with us now is Casey Nolan and Charlie Medic. They're both from Monash University. They're doing a Bachelor of Science honours degree at the moment in Global Challenges. Global Challenges. It's got to be... It's a bit of a worry. 
Hi guys, how are you going? Welcome to Triple R. Yeah, not bad, thanks. Hi, how are you going? Thanks for having us. Is, is this a really depressing course? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, tell us a bit about this course first because it's not one that I'm, I'm that aware of. I mean, obviously, um, I know what the, some of the global challenges are, but what sort of stuff do you cover? Um, so basically, it's we cover everything that a regular science degree covers, and yep. we also have training in communication, leadership, and entrepreneurship. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, so do a bit of everything, really. Yeah, no, that sounds really good. Um, now we got you on because you're, you you two have started up this interesting sort of community based program in a way um, about rainbow lorikeets. Tell us um, first uh, about the rainbow lorikeet. How's 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 that important? Why, why is that particular bird something you're you're after? Um, we're doing our honours project with DELP, the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, and mm-hmm. they wanted to get a better understanding of why rainbow lorikeets have spread from the coastline from the 70s, because now they're pretty much everywhere right. around Victoria. So so we get a better understanding of where they're nesting, where they're living, and just, yeah, where they are throughout Victoria as a whole. And tell us just a little bit about that particular bird for those who aren't up on their birds. What, what you know, describe the rainbow lorikeet. Is it, you know, because there's some birds that are really damaging and, you know, and so forth, but the rainbow lorikeet's kind of gorgeous. Yeah, so it's definitely not damaging as far as we know so far. Um, it's a, it's a parrot, lives in Victoria, a very colourful bird, very loud squawking. We kind of see it throughout, it was along the coastline originally, and now we mm. see it all throughout Melbourne, um, backyards, find it eating your trees in your backyard, your fruit trees. Um, yeah, it's a very beautiful bird, mm. and it's kind of nice to have it around the city. And they're sort of medium-sized birds. They're not, you know, a little bit bigger than a budgie, so they're not going to rip your power lines. <laughs> <laughs> no, medium-sized, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we, we, have this, we have this um plague of sort of white... The type of cockatoo, I think, not far from me at the moment. They're just ripping the place apart. Um, they're, they're, I mean, they're destructive. They're sulfur crestids, I think. What's that? Sulfur crestids. Are they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're beautiful birds. Holes. Beautiful birds wrecking the place. Um, now, tell us about this project you want everyone to be involved with because this, this spread of these birds is, is really interesting. We need to see what's going on. Yeah, and we thought we wanted to get more Victorians engaging with nature. That was one of our goals with this project. We just want to know where they are so any regular Victorian can go out, take pictures of rainbow lorikeets, their nests, their homes, anywhere they see them, send them in to us through our Where's Lorry project yeah. and win some cool prizes from our business partners. Okay. And and tell us about the, the actual program. Like, what, what are you intending to do with the data? You know, how are you going to sort of make this usable? Well, a few different ways. Citizen science projects haven't been run in the past with business partners mm-hmm. using incentives. So X-Golf Malvin and um, Diveline Australia have been fantastic with giving us some prizes to give out to people to incentivize them going out collecting these pictures of rainbow lorikeets. So mm. we're going to see if this is an actual effective way of gathering data and getting Victorians engaged with nature. People love prizes. What are they? <laughs> what, what are the prizes? Yeah, yeah. What can you win? So, the, so X Golf Malvern provided a few um, golf. So it's a virtual golf company. Um, mm-hmm. They provide golf lessons and it's like an entertainment venue. So yep. one of the prizes is for a big group of 12 people to go and have a bit of a session in there and there's four, four golf lessons as well, individual prizes. That's pretty cool. And then Diveline Australia has provided two discovery scuba courses and two scuba diving courses. So not not a full open water dive course but part of the course, um, you can also win that. Mm. So some pretty good prizes. Mm. And is the goal of the sort of the, this activity to do a count or a distribution? I mean, what, what sort of data are you trying to hone down? We'll just see. Well, a lot, a lot of photos have come in. We just, we just want to see what we get, and we'll have a look at the end and see if there's anything we can get out of that, data-wise. But we're more, more focused on getting Victorians out there and engaging. So that's our primary goal. Jeff, hmm. can you tell the sex of a rainbow lorikeet by a photo, or the uh, or the age? Would that help you? 
it's very difficult to tell just my photo. Um, and of course, a lot of the photos we're getting are from smartphones, iPhones, mm. um, and not great quality photos. So we aren't really interested in that side of the data. Um, as Charlie mentioned, we're more interested in getting people engaged. So while we're looking at rainbow lowercase distribution, we also were, there's a bit of a survey with the questions. So when you upload a photo, there's a couple of questions we ask, which looks at, um, how you perceive your engagement with nature and if, if you go outside much or, so I want to see, and I'll see if that changes as you engage in the project. That's really fascinating because engagement with nature has been shown to have a really positive effect on on mental health. So it's a really a really good scheme, I think. Mm. And you must have a huge variation in the quality of the photos. I mean, I'm sure there's yeah. some, some people out there with one 20 millimeter telephoto <laughs> lenses. <and>, yeah, <laughs> take this. Um, whereas, as you say, you've got you know, you know, my grandfather with a, a really old smartphone. <laughs> yeah, like a, crappy stuff. I mean, how are you sorting through that, or does it not matter? You're just sort of counting them up, really. No, it does not matter in the slightest. We love the variation we're getting because it means we've got different members of the community out there engaging we have some beautiful photos right up close and some far away you can barely see the lorikeet yeah yeah just a tree is important there's three there was three um so what's the website guys where where do people do this so it's called where's lorry um l-o-r-i for lorry it's with a facebook page also an instagram page and once you go on the Facebook page or Instagram page, there's a, a, a link that links you into the Google form, which you can then upload your photos. Fantastic. Well, look, it's great to see these community programs uh, going. And, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of these sort of ones on, on our show. I hope a lot of people have a look. Um, tag us on Facebook and so forth. We'll share it around for you. And, and good luck and well done. Thanks for coming in. Awesome. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Thank you for that. Casey Nolan and Charlie Medic are both from Monash University doing an honours degree there and uh, doing this fabulous program looking at the beautiful Rainbow Laureate, which is uh, Laureate, which is Laureate. <laughs> Jeez, I've got Laureates on the mind. Um, which are coming in from the, the current Laureate. Yeah, the current Laureate. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere, folks. Uh, get some photos in. Three. Triple. Um, in the studio with us now is Jacinta Dembest and, and Tanya Hill. Welcome, ladies. Well, I should say welcome back. You've been here many times before. Yeah. Hi, great to be on again. Yeah. Now, there's a big event coming up this weekend, the Astrolight Festival. It's down your neck of the woods, Tanya, at the Planetarium. Before we talk about the festival, what's going on at the Planetarium? Anything new? Oh, lots happening always. And in fact... We kind of, we've got lots of astronauts coming and visiting this week, which is pretty exciting. So just before Astrolite happens on Saturday night, on Wednesday night, we're actually having a special VIP event right. uh, where we're only selling a small amount of tickets. And this is to allow every guest to come and personally meet our two astronauts. Well, one is a NASA astronaut, mm-hmm. Tony Antonelli. Yep, yep. The other is the first Romanian cosmonaut. Uh, his name's Dimitri Pranari. And so the two of them are going to have a conversation together and then we'll mingle with all the guests and everyone can ask their own questions. And, and this is at, at the like. planetarium? At the planetarium, Because yes. it's not, I mean, to, to put it out there, it's not a big venue, so it's, this is an intimate sort of that, conversation. That's the idea, yeah, that's right, because mm. we wanted people to really get their own chance to yeah. meet uh, these amazing guys that 
you know, I think anyone who risks their life to do something as amazing yeah, yeah. as go and explore the new frontier of space. Anyone willing to strap that much explosive to their, to their butt. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, you, certain... you want to meet them. You want to go, oh, yeah. wow. You yeah. know, and, how and do you say, do this? They, is that a sociopath? Or is, oh, no, they're actually real explorers. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, well, they're, they're just amazing. Fantastic. So, yeah, so that's happening Wednesday night. Okay, so how do people get onto that? Or is it, all, is it sold out or is it still? Uh, no, not yet. There's still a few tickets okay. available. So, yeah, just check out the site. ScienceWorks website. Uh, it's called In Conversation with Astronauts That's on cool. Wednesday night. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll be there. Absolutely. Hugging them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> getting, getting photos, all the rest. Yeah. yeah. Geez, well, last week was Hugger Physio Week, you know, and this week is going to be Hugger Astronaut. Let's hug an astronaut. astronaut. I love, I love it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That sounds Fantastic. great. Now, Jacinta, um, you've been driving this Astrolight Festival for a few years now with, with Tenya, and it's getting pretty big. So what's on this year? It is. Um, big. It's We've got so many people. We've got a few people coming back from last year. Mm. Uh, we've got a lot of new people. So the idea is to explore as much new science as we possibly can. Anything, and I mean anything, to do with astronomy, space and light. So we've got biologists speaking. We've got chemists speaking. We've got, obviously, a lot of physicists and astrophysicists yep. speaking. So there's the speaking, and then there's all these organisations and groups and communities that are also going to be around doing activities with kids, providing information, maybe allowing you to actually travel into space through virtual mm. reality. Oh, that's cool. We've got a VR, yeah. uh, VR zone this year in the planetarium foyer. So. Is, is the lightning thing going to be turned on? It is. So that, our lightning oh, room yeah, will be in action. Come and, come and yeah, see the lightning. Cool. Two million volts of electricity. Jeez, <laughs> 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 you're not excited about that at all. Um, and and there's, uh, you, you're going to have a whole of the telescopes from the, the, the school's program and yeah. so forth out there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the entire arena is going to be filled with food trucks, mm. which is really important, and telescopes. So we've got 12-inch telescopes all over the place, so everyone will... Yeah. Fingers Weather crossed permitting. it'll be as beautiful yeah. a night as it was last night. Yeah, so. well, you know, it's, it's, it's looking incredible. good now. Mm. Just got to keep it lasting. Keep it like this until the weekend, and yeah. And I mean, I've taken my kids to this in the past, and you know, been one of the presenters. But they're, you know, it's a family affair, so anyone can go. It is absolutely. So we've actually got the program tailored to family oriented activities to begin with, and then later on, we've got some really interesting speakers mm. for. Um, our older audiences mm -hmm. and we've actually got a space a, a, a theater where it's mainly family orientated talks okay. so we're That's pitching cool. some of our talks to kids mm. um including talking about lightsabers and lasers in movies oh, that's, cool. that's a really yeah. big one the other really popular thing is the laser maze is coming back the laser, uh, maze. The laser maze so down in our pump house in the pumping station uh university of melbourne students know they're setting up um some great activities down there for you to yeah test Test your yeah. wits. Yeah, so the pumping station is absolutely full of activities for kids to really get their hands dirty yep. and play with space and science and light. And now, now, when we were talking, we spoke briefly during the week um, about this and other things, and you told me that there was some amazing lighting stuff this year at the event that hasn't been there in the past. Yeah, so we've um, there's a couple of rooms in the lower ground floor 
that um, are being transformed. They'll be dark, so go in there, even mm. if you think they're closed. And we've got fluorescence in there. We've got um, all sorts of lasers and so on, doing lots of different experiments, which you can actually go and explore and watch and look at. Um, mm. Yeah, so... And isn't the outside of science works? Aren't we lighting Oh, yeah, that that's mm. right. So, um, yeah, we've got um, a local um, light artist um, who... Is amazing. So Ramus Illumination or Ramus um, Design Studio is the company and Bruce Ramus, who's a local to Hobson Bay and um, the Footscray area, is putting on a massive light display at the front of ScienceWorks and it's called Starfield. So mm. you can imagine what that might be like. So while you're waiting in the queue to come in, um, make sure you check that out. But Bruce is also giving a talk um, later on in the evening and... I think your listeners, Shane, will really like this because Bruce actually spent first probably 20 years of his career touring around with people like you 2 REM, David really? Bowie, and mm. doing all the lighting design for those tours. So I think we've just got a whole new um, group of people who might be interested. That's in that. cool. Yeah. He was at a conference that I was at last year and he ran a whole um, session for a couple of hours and showed us some of the footage of the incredible shows that he's done and then he put it all into science terms and t- there was some serious mm. fangirling going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah. He, yeah. Was, he was very interesting. Well, look, it, I, I know the past ones have been fantastic, so I'm sure this will be well worth people getting along to. Um, details on the ScienceWorks website? Absolutely, yep. or search for Astrolite as well. There's mm-hmm. blogs, everything that explains what's going on and what will be happening as we open up ScienceWorks on Saturday night. Mm. And it starts pretty early, doesn't it? So for the kids, Yeah, so we're starting it early this year, around 5.30, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then we're running it later as well, okay. until 11. So, you know, come when, you, when you're able. Yeah, um, you, well... I was going to say, if you get your ticket before or by before Friday, you're going to running a um, winning a Celestron telescope. Oh, cool! Mm. Yep, mm. that's always good. I, I still I'm fixated on the food trucks, but um, <laughs> you know, hey, you know, you've got to eat. It's exactly. late at night. It could be cold. You know, yep. you've got to there's, eat. And, you know, there's nothing like chucking down a bit of crappy, you know, crappy. I mean, that when I say not good for you food necessarily, I don't know what food trucks delicious, you've got. But delicious, delicious tasting you know, food. But that, uh, yes, yeah. you know, while, while looking down the telescope, it's uh, I know, fantastic. I know, science works yeah. will be transformed. It'll be great. And if I'm right, and I could be completely wrong, but I believe both Saturn and Jupiter are up at the moment. Exactly right. right. So, so yeah, come along, see the rings of Saturn. Yeah, I mean, so. people have heard me say this before. Mars, boring. You know, don't care. But Jupiter and Saturn through a telescope, awesome. They they're both, and they're both up. And so. they're both up, so you can see them both on Saturday night. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for coming in, and good luck with the event. Hopefully a lot of people will be there. I'm sure they will. It's growing in success every year. So, folks, have a look on the ScienceWorks website, and you'll see the details, or do a search for Astrolite Festival. Um, there's some great people there this year. You guys have done really well. Thanks for coming in. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Uh, Jacinta Dembeston and Tanya Hill. Jacinta's from the University of Melbourne, and Tanya is from the Planetarium down at ScienceWorks. Three, triple,
In the studio with us now is Dr. Yen Ying Lim from the Flora Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health. Yen, welcome to Triple R. Thank you very much for having me. Now, you're doing some amazing work there, and you've had a lot of media lately, which is yes. great, which we'll get to. Um, but specifically, you work in dementia in old age, and of course, that brings in Alzheimer's as one of the major contributing factors. Um, let's start with that, with Alzheimer's. Can you just give us a bit of a rundown of what this condition is, what, what sort of effects people see, and over what time? Sure. So dementia is what we, uh, is an umbrella term that we Mm. use, uh, to describe a general loss of um, memory and thinking function over time. Um, Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia. So about 60 to 80% of dementia cases will be diagnosed as Alzheimer's disease. So Parkinson's disease is a different form of dementia, for example. Mm. Typically what we see in Alzheimer's disease is uh, people start to lose their memory. Uh, so they start to forget things. They start to forget about things they've seen um, or, or heard. And, and then over time, they start to rem- uh, to forget uh, people around them mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite a, a quite, quite a devastating disease. Um, they call it the carer's disease because right. it's felt most strongly by the carers around them. Um, mm. And uh, are there other physiological aspects of Alzheimer's. I mean, you mentioned memory and so forth, and mm-hmm. that's the part. We, I mean, we've all seen that yes. and hear about that, I suppose. But are there other issues that people get with Alzheimer's as well? It seems as though such a, a cascading failure of mental function would have other yes. side effects. Absolutely. So, biologically what happens is um, that the prevailing hypothesis at the moment is that this uh, a particular protein called the amyloid protein starts to build up um, over a course of 30 years. So it's a mm. very, very long disease. Um, it can build up over a course of 30 years um, and that gives rise to other things that happen in the brain so your brain volume starts to, to, to reduce, um, synapses start to fail um, and, and in turn you know, what we see as memory decline starts to happen and then of course eventually um, as people enter the dementia stages of the disease, um, their ability to conduct everyday activities of daily living like clothe themselves, bathe themselves, mm. uh, that starts to that starts to go as well but that's not until a little bit later mm. in the disease stage. I, I want to come back to the, the length of time in a moment, mm-hmm. but it, it seems it's always been interesting to me that you, you have a disease here that affects us at a time when we frankly weren't really evolved to live to. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we most of us back back on the savannah, you know, yep. we, we, we're dead by the time we're 30, whether it's due to, a, you know, a tooth infection or, or, or something eating yeah. us. And so we wouldn't have had Alzheimer's back then. No. I, I mean, is there an aspect of, of this that's sort of just a, a failure in our evolution that we just weren't really designed to get this old? Um, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so Alzheimer's disease, as much as, you know, we hear a lot about it, especially in older age, it's mm. not a normal part of aging. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, you know, it, it does make uh, a very small proportion of the older population who do get Alzheimer's disease. So, so I, I don't necessarily think that it's a failure in mm. our, in our evolution so much. Um, there's certainly a lot of people, uh, who do age normally and who do age very well. Um, and we, you know, it's really equally important for us to study those people to understand no as it is for us to understand abnormality. Mm. Now, you mentioned 30 years, which mm-hmm. to me puts it into the same category as things like cardiovascular disease and yes. other, other problems that take a protracted period to evolve. Absolutely. Uh, you know, if someone, you know, in my vintage, uh, you know, they're in their 40s, how, how do you know that you're starting? I mean, how do you know that it's 30 years? How do mm-hmm. I know that I might be starting to get Alzheimer's at the moment? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know my memory's not as good as it was when I was in my 20s, but I figure that's just 
normal. Mm-hmm. So how do you determine that? Um, I, I would I wouldn't say that you're getting Alzheimer's when you're 40. I think I think um, in a certain group of people uh, we can start to see that the Alzheimer's process is starting to happen mm-hmm. despite everyone being pretty normal. Your, your memory's fine. You're, you're still going out, working, engaging um, with with you know with everybody else. Um, if we measure you over time, if we put you in a brain scan and measure the levels of your protein, of the amyloid protein over time, uh, we will start to see very subtle increases uh, that suggest that you know this disease process is beginning to happen. Uh, and that's that, that's really the aim of um, the study that we've, we've set up. So the Healthy Brain Project, uh, we're looking to recruit 40 to 65 year old uh, um, adults uh, in Australia, um, about 5,000 of them to, to study them over time, follow them um, over a period of five or more years uh, to see and understand what changes actually happen in this very crucial period of life. Now, 5,000, yes. um, it's interesting because in the past, I've always said that's a huge number. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like a huge number, but then these days there are different sorts of studies going around in the world where, you know, genetic studies and others, which yeah. have hundreds of thousands Absolutely. to millions of people. So how does 5,000 rank in the sort of Alzheimer's study size set? Um, well, we go with 5,000 because um, the gene that we're interested in is present in about 15 to 20% of the mm-hmm. population. So we're trying to reach about 1,000 of those people. Okay. Um, we're, not, we're not, you know, aiming for hundreds of thousands or anything like that um, because we're actually doing quite specific. Uh, testing on these uh, individuals um, and that will give us um, what we call more power or more ability to be able to detect some of the changes Mm. that we're interested in. Um, We do need such a large number because in science we are looking for a very, very small effect and as you know um, in in scientific studies if you're looking for a a small effect you need need numbers. as many mm. as you can get, yeah. And in terms of the, the testing, you said it's because it's over mm-hmm. a protracted period. I mean, what, what's involved for an individual who, um, you know, give all the gory details, they may, <laughs> they may still sign up for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what, yeah. what's involved? So it's an online study. Um, yep. You can visit healthybrainproject.org.au. Um, it's an online study because we want to make it as open to as many people as possible, um, you know, irrespective of whether they live in Melbourne or in, in a rural area. Um, you sign in and you just have to commit about two to three hours a year uh, to the testing, so it's not a lot at all. Mm. Um, you mm. can take your time. You can sign in and out. You can... Um, um, fill out certain forms when you feel like it, come back and do other things um, another time. So it's quite, it's, it's built to be quite flexible around, you know, the working lives of people who are age 40 to 65 years old. And one of the things that I always find disturbing with many, you know, research endeavours, especially mm-hmm. clinical trials, is, mm-hmm. is that often um, what, there's what I would call an ethical dilemma where you know something's working or you know someone needs an intervention and often in those trials you can't do that because you're eliminated. Right. I mean, in this case, if you, if you have people doing this mm-hmm. and, and there are flags, red flags. Yes. I mean, what happens then? Do, Absolutely. Do, That's a great question. Um, so a, lo- a big part of, um, what we're trying to achieve, um, is to be able to track people over time and if there are any kind of, um, abnormalities that pop up, um, we have a team of, you know, neurologists who will look after mm-hmm. them and who will work with their GPs to then um, you know, come up with the best solution for them. Yeah, I mean, the, the question I have there is, do you expect to get way more than 5,000? I mean, to me, this seems like a, 
like something that every Australian should mm. do <laughs> simply as a preventative step. It's like brushing your teeth or, you yep. know, um, getting screened for, you know, getting your blood screened every few years once you reach a certain age. This sounds yeah. like something that should just be a standard scenario that you go and do it, takes you a couple hours a year, and if it looks like you're going to end up with Alzheimer's, which mm-hmm. is a major problem in mm-hmm. you and everyone around your lives, mm-hmm. um, you'll you'll get interventions. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, that's that's the um, overarching aim of this. Uh, the long-term goal of that would be would be to achieve something like that. Mm. Um, but, you know, it really depends on funding at the moment, yeah. as, as with everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the obvious, the, the obvious thing to, to look for is risk factors. Yes. But what about turning it around and looking for preventive factors? You hear things about, you know, if you do crosswords or brain training, mm-hmm. that might help you. Are mm-hmm. these the kind of things you're looking for? And what is the evidence so far? Yeah, um, I think looking for protective factors are equally important. Uh, we are, I'm, I, my research... Uh, focuses on a lot of different genetic factors. Some of them are protective, some of them are, are um, you know, I- increased risk um, of the disease. Um, in terms of brain training, there is not a lot of uh, evidence out there that it works. Um, so what I like to tell um, people who ask me, you know, about brain training and, and Sudoku and crosswords and things like that is that if you really want, um, you should try and, and challenge your brain a little bit more. So try and learn a new language or um, try and learn a new skill something like that uh, there mm. really is no evidence that you know mm. a lot of brain training games have the ability to translate into everyday lives and what i mean by that is that you know you can you can play all these games but then that doesn't necessarily mean that you can remember yeah. your shopping list better or anything like and, that and you're, you're talking about plasticity in the brain yes. main you know maintaining that because yeah. that's something that we know i mean mm-hmm. i know gee I'm, i may have been able to learn a language when i was 15 <laughs> but if i had a crack now i know how that would go because <laughs> my plasticity you know, i'm stuck as jen would say i'm mm-hmm. stuck in my ways um, <laughs> <laughs> but that that's different to just playing a game where you already know the answers kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's because, well, there's a very big difference because um, what they try, what they, the phenomenon that you're seeing there is what we call practice effects. So as mm-hmm. long as you keep practicing the same thing, you're going to get better at it. Right. Um, yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your memory is going to Well, you stop it. thinking about it after exactly. a while, don't you? Yeah, it's like exactly. muscle memory. Um, now, all, all this is great, but mm. what happens if you actually find you have Alzheimer's? We don't have a cure for Alzheimer's no. right now. So, I mean, what's the what's the intervention at the moment, or what well, are you leading towards? Yeah, well, we have a couple of clinical trials going on at the Flory um, that we're running. So, um, I think there's still a couple of them are still enrolling. So, you know, if you're interested mm-hmm. in that, um, you know, give us a call and we can probably direct you to to one that is appropriate. Um, if you have Alzheimer's disease or you know somebody who has Alzheimer's disease um, at the moment, I think the best thing. To to do is to really try and keep them engaged um, as for as long as you can. Mm. Um, it's really kind of a bit of a palliative care kind of model, um, which is unfortunate. Um, but but you know, keep them engaged. Uh, you know, in- keep interacting with them. Keep seeing them. Play them some music that they 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 enjoy listening to. Um, keep their agitation levels down. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And just finally, um, uh, you're looking at genetic elements of this, which yeah. says that there must be an element of inheritance here. I mm. mean, how, how big is that risk for people who have a, a family member who has Alzheimer's? So for the most for most of the Alzheimer's population, uh, there is a very small um, genetic risk. So mm-hmm. you know, if you have a family history, it might mean that you have increased risk of carrying a particular gene. But again, it's not uh, it's not a hundred percent. It's not absolutely diagnostic either. Mm. Um, okay. So so it's about fifteen to twenty percent of the population. Okay. And to get people online, uh, what should they Google? Healthy this? Brain Project. Healthy Brain Project. Yes. And they'll get it. 
Yen, thanks so much for coming in. This is a, an excruciating experience for people who have had, uh, you know, involvement with a family member mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's, not to mention what it must be like to have it themselves. Um, I hope this work goes well. I hope you get, you know, 50,000 people, not 5,000. <laughs> shooting much. too low. Um, we'll get you 5,000 by the end of this program. Um, good luck with it. And I hope this longitudinal study goes well and, um, I'll be, I'll be signing up and I think everyone should. So thank you very so much. much. Dr. Yen Ying Lim is from the Flory Institute for Neuroscience and Mental Health and doing some great work there on um, Alzheimer's and looking for some new therapies. We're almost out of time. Dr. Jeff, thanks so much for coming in. It's always a pleasure. Good to see you. Uh, Dr. Jen, we had uh, your student group in this week, uh, training, and they will be running the show next week for I us. know. Are you getting nervous, Shane? I've just got to push the, the buttons. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, you know me, I'm inherently lazy by nature, so I have to do less. I'm very happy with that. You know, no, they're going to be great. Everyone make sure you tune in next week. We've got some fantastic students yeah. coming on air. Yeah, they've been trained up by Jen for about a year, and, and yeah. they were going to let them loose. We uh, sure are. It's going to be great. They've been great. Dr. Catherine, good to see you too. Thank you, Dr. Shane. It's been great. Yeah. And uh, I should uh, just note, uh, if you haven't already checked it out, folks, uh, check out the nasa.gov website. There's some great stuff there on the Cassini mission, which ended yesterday, sadly, but um, that craft has sent back some of the most amazing photos and so forth of Saturn you'll ever see. And also, if you haven't subscribed to AAA, you can still be in the, uh, the um, prize pool, so you can win all the prizes that we advertise during the Radiothon. Um, that's good until the 20th of September at 5pm, so if you want to get online and support AAA, you can still do that. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.